I'm going to ask you today to open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 10. And uh, we've got a lot coming up here at Enon over Christmas, but one of the greatest things that we're going to get to have to do as far as outreach opportunity is going to be our candlelight service that's going to be on Sunday night, December the 19th at Mortimer Jordan High School. Now, I know in the past our candlelight service has been on Christmas Eve, and the reasoning why we've shifted that uh, to the high school and doing it a few days before Christmas is because, first and foremost, we're praying that we need the room. Uh, you know, our sanctuary will sit about 600 people where at Mormon Jordan High School we can sit between 12 to 1,500 people there. And we're just praying and believing for an opportunity to invite people uh, this Christmas season. And then secondly, because this is one of the most joyous times of the year, it can also be one of the hardest times of the year uh, for people as they come into Christmas season. Church family, we know if you're a follower of Jesus here today how wonderful and beautiful it is for us to be able to focus and worship the Lord this Christmas season because God is Emmanuel, God with us. How awesome is that, by the way? That is, that is the greatest joy of Christmas for us. But here's the truth. If, if we just worship Jesus this Christmas season and we don't take the opportunity to point others to know the Jesus that we know, then we're missing such a great opportunity. And so that's the reason it would be real easy for us sometimes in moments to kind of sit back and just be takers and receivers of what the Lord has given us. There's nothing wrong with that. We should sit in the presence of God this Christmas, but we also need to remember the first mission that Jesus has given us is not just to take, but to go and give. I heard somebody say one time, uh, the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. And so one of the greatest ways that we're going to give you today to be able to do that is that we have 2,000 of these uh, Enon Baptist Church Christmas ornaments. And so on the top, it has the invite to the carols by candlelight. It's got Isaiah 9, for unto us a son was given. So which is, it's just a, a beautiful uh, opportunity just to be able to bless people this Christmas. But inside, you've got a little blue, a beautiful little Christmas ornament that says Merry Christmas on one side, and it says Enon Baptist Church on the other. And so so I know the value of what it means to go knock on neighbors' doors and to invite them to something. Just uh, a few years ago, around Christmas, I got to see my neighbor Frank come to faith in Christ and uh, because I, I brought him some tomatoes out of our garden. It started with, I've got some extra tomatoes and I want to go and, and meet my neighbors. And so it just started with that. This gives you an excuse to go knock on the door. Uh, I encourage, don't wear a backpack so people don't think you're a Mormon. But go and, and uh, bring your Christmas ornament and, and just invite uh, people to Carol's by Candlelight and bless them over Christmas. So this is a great thing to be able to do. Church family, it would be a tragedy. If we have to drum people up in the weeks ahead to take these. Our hope would be is that today, each and every one of us, we take 10, 15 of them with us, that we think about our neighbors and people with co-workers. These are opportunities to bless other people. So these are for you to take and to give away. This is not for you to decorate, to have an Enon tree. I know my grandmother had a different Christmas tree in every room. You don't want your guest bedroom to be the Enon tree. Okay, that being the case, we do have something for you to take with you here today. We have for everybody here this morning, you get to take home with you a t-shirt and for your kids in general that says for our neighbors and it's got a little the state of Alabama a little heart on where we live and on the back it has Enon Baptist Church on it uh, that is for all of us I feel like Oprah this morning and you get a tree t-shirt and you get a t-shirt anyway you get to take one of these with you uh, today and this is the reason why we're giving these out first and foremost we want these t-shirts to be uh, reminders to us that God has called us to be a people that are for our neighbors to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
They're also great conversation starters. When people look at your t-shirt, they say, what does for our neighbors mean? It's got the state of Alabama on it, a little heart over Jefferson County. You're able to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. And uh, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is to love our neighbors around us. And then finally, uh, this is also going to serve as a uniform for us in the days ahead. After the first of the year... We're going to be looking to doing some serve days in our communities, opportunities to to serve places where we can uh, look for opportunities to share the gospel with people. And these will be our t-shirts, will be our uniform for those days. So be sure to go and and grab one of those today. But you may ask, why are we making such a big deal out of our community today? And the reason why is because today is Local Missions Sunday. Last week, you heard us talk about Global Missions Sunday knowing that it's the responsibility of the church to make disciples of peoples throughout the world, which means going to the farthest corners of the earth to make sure that everybody has heard the good news of Jesus. And by the way, God's doing that. How incredible last week was. And we had some individuals last week that put their yes on the table that they would go. We had some high school seniors, some college students praying and getting information about going to the nations for some season of their life to share the gospel with people. Can we praise the Lord for that here today? God's answering those prayers. But we've got to remember that the same road that takes you to the farthest corners of the earth begins at your front door. If we will share the gospel with people in the nations, but we won't share the gospel with people next door, then we're missing it. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right before Jesus ascends to the Father, he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses or my testifiers, both in Jerusalem, which is home, and in Judea, which is in your region, by the way, I pray when I pray for I pray for Morrison, Kimberly, and Warrior, but I also pray for uh, Hayden and Corner. I pray for Mount Olive. I pray for Pinson. I pray for Gardendale, Fulton. I pray for our region. That ultimately, in the days ahead, God would help us to reach uh, even people in our region. And then Samaria. Samaria means to go to people who don't look like you, who are different culturally than you, and even to the remotest parts of the earth, then to the nations. I want us to have a statement. My prayer is in the days and years ahead here at Indian Baptist Church that we would be known for this statement, that we are people who proclaim the gospel from our neighbors to the nations. That we go from the neighbors to the nations. We're not either or, we're both and. We're people who go from the neighbors to the nations. And so you may ask the question today, how do we bring the gospel to our neighbors? Well, I would say to you, the quick answer to that is any way you can. You can bake cookies, you can cut grass, you can coach a little league team, or you could even knock on a door. And I know for some of you here today, that just freaks you out about knocking on a door. I'll tell you one of my favorite stories about that. I heard a story one time about a pastor who was new to a community, and he's wanting to meet some of his neighbors around him. So he goes to one door, and he knocks on the door. And he can hear people moving and shifting around in there, but they didn't come to the door. And so he left his card, and on the back of the card he wrote Revelations 3.20 that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he left the card. The next Sunday, uh, after they're taking up offering, one of the ushers came and said, Pastor, somebody brought your, left your card in the offering plate. And it was that same card, but underneath Revelations 3.20, somebody had written Genesis 3.10 that says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. But in all seriousness, whatever method we use to engage the neighbors with the gospel, the number one way that will keep us committed is first that we do it for the glory of Jesus, and then secondly, because we just love people well. And that's the title of our message this morning, is how do I love 
my neighbors. The text we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 10 is the famous story of the Good Samaritan. So look with me, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. The scripture says, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is it written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbors as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. That's a really important statement. But Jesus, wishing to justify himself, said to him, But wishing to justify himself to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion for him. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus said, Go and do the same. This morning, if there's ever a passage worth underlining in your scripture, I would say that last verse there, go and do the same. Now, we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning on that parable, how do we love our neighbors, uh, how do we love our neighbors well. But first, we need to uh, hear some really important truths there at the beginning. First, we need to see that in verses 25 through 28, is that Jesus is responding to the question of a man, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's asking about, how can I go to heaven? And the man quotes the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, do this and you will live. Ultimately, he's saying, if you do those things, then you will truly go to heaven. You will truly have eternal life. You are truly a follower of me. Essentially speaking, Jesus was saying that the fruit of those who are truly going to heaven and thereby are his followers are those who fully love God and fully love others. Now, we need to grasp the gravity of that here today. That we need the way that we love and treat the people around us is a testimony to our relationship with God and can even be a test of our eternal security. The way you love God and the way that you love others is one of the greatest tests to know if you're a true follower of Christ. This is not unique to this passage in Scripture. 1 John 3.10, John said, "...by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious." Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Think about that. He says the man who does not love his brother is the child of the devil. Loving people around us is a foundational action for the people of God. This is why Jesus uses the imagery later in this parable of saying it was the Levite and the priest who passed by the man But it was a Samaritan, somebody who would have been considered unacceptable to God in their day, was the one who showed him mercy. The picture here is that Jesus was saying true faith is essentially seen not in what you say, but in what you do. Secondly, we need to make sure that we don't miss the phrase that Jesus says here in verse 27 about how we are to love others. And ultimately, he points to the fact that we're to love others as we love ourselves. 
It's kind of a daunting task to think about what it would look like for us to really love people the way that you love yourself. Now, most of us understand that to love yourself doesn't mean to gush over your appearance or to compliment yourself on your achievements. I don't wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, Zach Reno, you are the man. I mean, I usually don't do that, but sometimes, but for the most part, I don't do that. Now, here's the truth here today. We all know that the passage, when he talks about loving ourselves, is it's communicating somebody taking care of themselves or prioritizing themselves. And this is a good and natural thing. If you feed yourself, you're loving yourself. If you go to bed on time, eat right, enjoy your family, feed your soul with God, you are loving yourself. And that's a good and natural thing. Essentially, though, this passage points that to love others as yourself means that you make others just as much of a priority as you make yourself. To love others is to elevate others to the same priority of care that you would care for yourself. And then Jesus goes into the parable to show us what does it look like to truly love our neighbor. So I'm going to give us three keys this morning to loving our neighbors well. If you're keeping notes here today, the first is this. To love our neighbors well, we must have a sense of urgency about the desperate need of others around us. It's interesting for us to note here that Jesus, in communicating a parable about how we are to love our neighbors, he communicates a parable by setting it up in a desperate situation. He doesn't say, love your neighbors well by go to those who are warm and fed or go to those people uh, who are just struggling maybe across the street. He he gets an emphasis of something terrible that has happened. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers. They stripped him, they beat him, and they went away leaving him half dead. The emphasis that Jesus is setting up here in this passage was one of urgency. The man was in need of a neighbor. He was in need of love and care, and his life depended on it. And make no mistake, church family, when we think about loving our neighbors as ourselves, we have people around us whose lives and eternities depend on it. This was a reality for Kimberly and I just this last year when I had the opportunity to to lead one of my neighbors to faith in Christ, Brandon and his wife, Nicole. Not long after, and by the way, it was just by knocking on his door and starting a conversation, eventually inviting him to church where he gave his life to Christ. And God God still uses the invite. That's why it's so good to take these boxes and just go invite people. Ultimately, as I started to get to know him, he looked like he had it all together. He was in the military, full-time active in the military. His wife was a nurse. They had two beautiful daughters. But as we started to wade into discipling him, I began to recognize that he said a year prior to that that he was in his house and he was contemplating ending his life. His struggles with depression and brokenness in his life were real. And I know that some of you in this room, you've experienced those situations in family members and often more times than not, there was nothing you can do. But in some situations, I wonder and I ask, God, If anybody is in those situations, would you show it? Would you bring it to life? Help me to wade into every situation that I can. And this should be the reality as we think about the desperate situation of those around us. If we could have a sneak peek through God's eyes into the homes in our community, we would see hopeless people who are hopeless in life, struggling every day, wondering if life is worth living. We would see people bound and broken in addiction that is hidden from view from everybody else in the world. We would see people struggling to find what is missing in their family and in their marriages. We would see people confused by the messages of this world and that are believing lies that will only end up hurting them in the end. 
But the most common struggle we would see that ultimately is the cause of so many other struggles is that we would find people who don't know the love and the blessings of lordship in Jesus. And I want you to know here today that if you are watching online or if you are in this room right now and you are one of those families, I want you to come find me or come find one of our ministers at the end of this service and let us talk to you about what it means to come to know Jesus. Life is hard, but I promise you it's harder without Jesus. But the reality is, is that our greatest need that all of us have, that all of our neighbors have, is our greatest need is Jesus. And the scripture makes it clear here today that more times than not, for people to hear about Jesus, they're going to hear that through someone else. They're going to hear that through a neighbor. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 says, How will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Church family, if people are going to find out about the Jesus they need, they're going to find out about him through us. And we need to recognize that in our post-Christian culture, community is full of people who've never had a real conversation about following Jesus. Sometimes we miss that. Oh man, I grew up in the South. There's a church on every corner. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Because if you look at the stats of churches on every corner, that church attendance is declining. Churches are closing over and over again. And then often their populations are rising. Most people in our community have never had a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. Just a couple of weeks ago, our Student pastor, Luke Chris, when he got to share, he talked about getting to lead two young men to faith in Christ at Mormon Jordan High School. And he asked the question, said, has anybody ever talked to you about Jesus? And they said, no. Two teenage young men, no, nobody had ever heard. What do these people need? Sometimes they just need a neighbor. They need somebody near to them, not physically a neighbor. They just need somebody near to them. Also, in our southern Bible Belt area, we need to know that not everyone who claims to know Jesus really does. The reality is that people who have prayed a prayer once, but they have no conviction of sin in their lives, no desire for God or the things of God, and they live as though this world is their greatest treasure, is that this is completely contradictory to what the Bible says it means to be a follower of Christ. Luke chapter 10 Verses 23 and 24, Jesus spoke about what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to keep, save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Somebody who's a true follower of Jesus, they don't have their whole life together. That doesn't mean that they never sin or never mess up and make a mistake. But you ask them, what are you living for? They say, I'm living for Jesus. My life is fully, totally invested in Jesus. And so often we have in our community people who know about Jesus. They have religion, but they don't really know Jesus. And in these situations, often the only thing that shakes people out of that is to have contact with somebody who truly is fully devoted to Christ. Did you know that in the Secret Service, when they're training Secret Service agents that are assigned to finding counterfeit money, that one of the greatest ways that they train them is not for them to spend a bunch of time looking at fake money, but rather they train them by spending the majority of their time looking at real money. And the reason why is if they've studied real money enough, then a fake money, fake counterfeit money, stands out. The same thing is true for those who are true followers of Christ and those who are fake followers of Christ. The real thing makes the fake thing stand out. And sometimes religious people who are far from God and are deceived in believing that they know Jesus, what they need is a neighbor who will not judge them, but just love Jesus around them. 
who would just be the presence and the fragrance of Christ around them. Again, they just need a neighbor. The difference between our lost neighbors coming to faith in Christ is often a Christian neighbor who's just willing to engage them. Jesus sets up this teaching on loving our neighbors by creating urgency. I want to ask you the question here today. How many of us live with a sense of urgency over the spiritual condition of the people around us? A good friend of mine who pastors the Summit Church in Little Rock, he's from Adamsville, Alabama here. His name is B.J. Strickland. Just this last year, God began to convict BJ that he wasn't, uh, he wasn't as burdened enough for lost people around him. And so God laid on his heart to do a 40-day fast. And, and it was as if 40-day fast wasn't enough to ask God to burden his heart for evangelism for the souls around him. He then committed to say he was not going to go to bed each night without engaging someone in a spiritual conversation. Sometimes that meant him just driving around and, uh, and, looking, and going to parks and connecting with people and just saying, Lord, put people in my path. But he made that commitment because the urgency demanded it. How many of us are willing to put that kind of urgency in that? One of my favorite parts of that story was the first day uh, BJ made that commitment. He was on his way home from, from church and work. He said, Lord, where do you want me to go? He felt like the Lord said, go to this park. He went to this park, found a lady sitting at a bench by herself, just walked up, introduced himself as a follower of Jesus and didn't know if there's anything she could pray for her for and had this incredible gospel conversation. It was like God just lined it up. The next day he's on his way to work and he sees a guy with his hood up and he thinks the guy needs help with his car and he pulls up and he's a Hispanic guy. And he starts asking him how he can help with his car. The guy says, yes, yes. And they get it cranked up. And after it's over with, BJ said, man, can I share with you about Jesus? And he said, the guy says, yes. And so he goes to the whole gospel conversation and shares Jesus with him. And when it's all said and done, he said, man, would you like to give your life to Christ? The guy said, yes, yes. And then BJ's up just on cloud nine. He goes, yes, I do the sheetrock. I do the painting. I do the landscaping. <laughs> and he, said, he didn't understand a word that he said. Listen, sometimes connecting with people, you're on cloud nine. And sometimes you may completely lay an egg, and that's okay. You're being faithful to engage people. Are we faithful to live with a sense of urgency with the people around us? So the first key to loving our neighbor well is is to have a sense of urgency. Secondly, to love our neighbors well, we must see them. In verses 31 through 33, we can see some of the ways that can help us identify who our neighbors are. He says, By chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then a Levite came also, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion for him. Now again, the first two religious people, they were unneighborly to him. And the last man, the Samaritan man, was the one who treated him like a neighbor. But all three, the Bible says that they saw him. And ultimately, that began that decision of whether or not they were going to help or not. Seeing those around us is such an important lesson for us to learn today because in our fast-paced, self-focused world, we can often blow right past opportunities that God has placed in our paths to be neighbors to those around us. We are not good at being neighbors anymore, church. We don't even design our homes this way. I used to go to my great-grandmother's house every Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it was this house that was built uh, you know, at the turn of the century there in the early 1900s. It had a huge front porch. The house that the church owns here right next door was built in 1918. The huge front porch, it was about welcoming and entertaining people, inviting people into your home. We don't build houses like that anymore. 
We have these little fake front porches that you can't even really put a rocking chair on. But we have giant backyards. We pull into our garages and we don't even get out of our car until the garage door comes down. Because we live in such a way we are isolated from the people around us. This is not how God's people are to live. The Bible says we're to live with hospitality. We're to live recognizing people around us. And all over scripture, we see that ministry started when people saw other people. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36, is an example of Jesus noticing the people around him. And it starts off with him seeing the people. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Our awareness of others directly impacts our actions in ministry. If this passage teaches us anything today, it's that we should pay attention to the people that God has placed in our lives. These are your neighbors. These are the people whom God has placed in your life to show and share Jesus with. Acts chapter 17 says that God is consistently drawing people to himself. And in fact, the Bible says that he is appointed where we live and when we live that we may seek and find God. Well, how are people going to seek and find God? Because the Bible says that God has put people in their path. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. How incredible is that? God has prepared beforehand. You live on the street you live. You've got the family members that are in your family. You work at this place. You are in certain places and situations so that people can hear and find out about Jesus. Now, I want to give you a great way that you can identify the people that God has placed in your life. Your neighbors. And it's called an oikos map. The word oikos is Greek for family or family circle. It means the people that are in your life. I want to challenge everybody in this room today to go home today and create one of these oikos maps. And I'll show you how it works. You can see there in the middle, you draw a circle for me, and that's you. And then outside of that, you draw a few bigger circles. And these are the places where you spend the majority of your time and interact with other people. So again, you have your neighborhood. This is where you physically live. Then you have your friends and family. Then you have maybe where you work. And then maybe you have your hobbies, like where you, maybe you go to the gym or where you spend time. Maybe your kids' sports teams or some of these things. So once you kind of get the majority of the time where you spend time, then begin to list off people's names that you know they're either far from God or you're just not sure if they're far from God. How many of us, even just this last week, you spent time at Thanksgiving with family members who you know are far from God? So maybe you'd write their names down. And then you think about your work. You think about Bob or Sally or whoever that may be that, that you're not sure if they know Jesus or not. Maybe some of them are very clearly you know that they don't know Christ. Or from the fruits of their life, it looks like they don't know Christ. It's people that are far from God or potentially far from God. Once you do this, once you begin to do this, you begin to think to yourself, these are the people that God has put in my path. And let me say something else to you here today. If you draw your, your map out and you're just... Everybody in your circle pretty much knows Jesus. You know, you, everybody, let me say something to you here today. You need another circle. You need to add another circle. You need to go join a gym, go to a book club, go connect somewhere where people are regularly, where you can build relationships with people. This is what it means to be a missionary. When missionaries go places, they get connected. I got some friends of mine that are going to Portugal here soon to go be missionaries full-time. And one of the greatest ways that they're doing that is while they're in America, they bought a very specialized dog. 
because dog culture is a big deal there. And if they go to Portugal and they have a dog, then they're able to connect in all these dog groups that come together. And, and it's, again, for them, it's just practically a way to engage people. Find things and ways that you can engage people. The Bible says that we're to be the salt of the world. And I heard a pastor say one time, if we keep all the salt in the salt shaker, then how are we going to season the world? So again, beginning, once you get this list, just then begin to pray over this list. And then one more aspect of seeing our neighbors that is in this text, that we also must see our neighbors practically, but we also must see them with compassion. The Bible says there in verse 33, the Samaritan who was on a journey, he saw him and he had compassion on him. Now this is interesting. I've preached this text dozens of time in my, times in my life. This is the first time I saw that this last week. That word compassion in the Greek is the same word that the Greeks used for your bowels or your intestines, for your gut. Now, when we think about feeling compassion for somebody, we use the terminology of our heart. You know, man, my heart was burdened or my heart is broken for people. The Greeks, they saw the seat of our pity and our compassion. They saw it as your, your bowels or your gut. And honestly, they probably had it better. When you're burdened over somebody, when you hear of a terrible situation that happened in somebody's life, where do you feel it? You feel it right here. You feel it in your core. This is why we even say to people, man, I got that news, and it was like it punched me in the gut. And the truth is here, Jesus is saying that this Samaritan who was a good neighbor, he didn't just see the man, but he was burdened over him. He felt for the man in his core. This type of love and compassion goes beyond surface-level acknowledgement of others around us to a place where we genuinely feel for others, where we are engaged emotionally. Now, this is important for us to know because many of us today, we are stingy with our emotional bandwidth. You may say, Pastor Zach, I don't have time to feel emotionally for those around us. Now, listen, there are some situations in life where we need to receive compassion for others more than we need to give on low places in the wall. But however, if we're honest here today, most of us don't have compassion for others, not because we are so drained emotionally that we can't, but honestly, because we are either too selfish about how we spend our emotional energy or we are drained by spending our emotional energy on the wrong things. You're so stressed out about politics, difficult people, drama, and so many other things that you don't have time to fill for and be burdened for the things that really matter. Just earlier in this same chapter, Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending the disciples out as laborers into the harvest. And this is one of the things he tells them, greet no one on the way. Basically, don't stop. Don't hesitate. Go after lost people. Can I say something to you here today? At Enon Baptist Church, we're going to be a people that's focused on making disciples. And there may be other places and other situations where people are going to get in church drama. We're not going to do that. We're going to be a people who are all about winning lost people to Jesus. Amen? Can I say something to you here today? This is the way we're supposed to live our lives. God, help me to focus on the main things. Ask yourself the question in those situations when I'm giving a lot of emotional energy to things. Is is this situation going to matter at all a thousand years from now? But rather, if it's a person, if it's sharing the gospel with somebody, if it's engaging with lost people, yeah, Lord, this could matter a thousand years from now. So I want to engage in the right things. To love our neighbors well, we need to first have a sense of urgency. And then secondly, we need to have that sense of, to see people, to have a sense of compassion. And finally, to love our neighbors well, we must serve the people around us. 
This passage gives us a beautiful picture of how compassion was moved to action by the Samaritan man helping the man who was in need. Look at verses 34 and 35. It says, And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Now this is worthwhile just taking a time out and saying, what a beautiful picture of somebody caring for someone and caring for them well. But I do believe there's a couple of steps here that can help us see how we can serve our neighbors well around us. First, to serve your neighbors well, you must engage them. The Bible says that the Samaritan man, after he saw him, the Bible says he came to him. After he saw the man, he had compassion on him, and so he went to the man. Church family, we can't serve people we don't know, and we won't know people that we haven't engaged. Again, think about your neighborhood. How many people in your neighborhood need Jesus? How many people in your neighborhood need the love of Jesus, needs compassion, needs someone to serve them? But here's the deal. You can't love and serve people that you don't know, and you don't know people that you haven't engaged. And the Christmas season is such a great opportunity to do that. And again, we're giving hundreds of opportunities for you to do that by those ornaments. I challenge you again today, church. I say just like we said in the first service, it would be a tragedy if we're having to beg people to take those ornaments home. Because here's the deal. It's a question of saying, how real do we really feel about this command that Jesus has called us to love our neighbors well? That we won't knock on a door. Or maybe you say, well, man, I live out in the country. Just pick a subdivision. Flip a coin, drive around, say, Lord, what subdivision? Park and just start knocking on doors. Hey, well, I'm from Indian Baptist Church. We've got this Christmas thing coming up. We want to give you this ornament and, and just welcome you and wish you a Merry Christmas. And then just ask the question, is there anything we can pray for you for? Just engage people. I remember when I was uh, about 17, uh, my pastor was preaching one morning something similar to this about loving your neighbors. And there was a rental house right across the street from where I grew up on Reno Street, right across the street. And this family had moved in. A young couple had moved in. They'd been there about six months, and I had never met them. I just waved at them a few times. But I was so convicted over the fact that here I am. I have the, the light of the world. Jesus says that the light is not made to be put under a basket, but on a lampstand for all to see. And there's these neighbors right across the street from me that may or may not know Jesus, who may be walking through the consequences of a life that doesn't know Jesus and may be facing an eternity without Jesus. And I remember leaving there that Sunday morning. I went directly across the street to Western Supermarket. Y'all remember Western Supermarket? Walked in and I bought some cookies. Now, whatever I had in my billfold, 2 or $3 worth of cookies, it was those cookies with about 17 inches of icing on them. Okay, they're disgusting. It was all I could afford. And I remember knocking on this neighbor's door. She came to the door. She had a towel wrapped around her head. And I was still so kind of emotionally convicted. I, I probably seemed like a, just a, a maniac. I was like, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I've never met you before. And, and, and Jesus loves you and he loves me. And she's probably looking at me like, oh, my gosh, who is this crazy person on my front porch? But finally, I calmed down enough to say, and I gave her the cookies and say, I, I just wanted to introduce myself and ask you, do you know Jesus? And can I pray for you? And she said, she said she knew Jesus, but she let me pray for her. And as best as I could utter in some uneducated 17-year-old self-prayer, I prayed for this lady. And I remember finishing praying and her looking up in tears running down her face. I have no idea. And I had no possibility of even being able to empathize with anything that this adult woman was going through in that situation. But here's the deal. Jesus did. And just knocking on the door was letting her know that Jesus saw her right where she was. 
Church family, we've got to engage the people around us. And Christmas is such a great way to do that. Bring the ornaments and maybe do a little bit more than that. Maybe you can bake cookies or brownies and, and, and take them with the ornaments or, 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 or do some other things. You could go caroling. Now you say that's kind of crazy. Let me say something. Enon Baptist Church, you folks can sing now. Like every time that I bust out in one of our staff meetings or anywhere, just some spontaneous song, it's not like people that just join in to sing with you. Y'all sing in like four-part harmony on the dot. I mean, just right there on the spot. It's unbelievable. Can I say something to you here today? Go caroling. Get your Sunday school class together and take a whole neighborhood and go caroling. Every time somebody comes to the door, give them an ornament and invite them and just pray for them. What could God do? Hey, what could God do with your kids? If your kids see you loving people like that, it makes the gospel come alive. My mom and daddy believe this. There's so many ways you can do this. Church, I challenge you to make it your goal to start some real conversations with people around you this Christmas that you either haven't had or haven't had in a long time. There's neighbors that you wave at them, but you've never really engaged them. I'm going to challenge you to do that this Christmas. Secondly, to serve your neighbors well, you can help meet their needs. The Bible makes it clear in this passage that this man went to great lengths to, to serve the man who had been beaten and attacked. He, he did so much to serve him, and ultimately he, he ministered to his needs. There's an old statement that said, See a need and meet it and find a hurt and heal it. This is what God has called us to be as believers. There's many ways that you can help the needs of others around you. You can cut grass. You can babysit. You can pet sit. You can rake leaves in hard financial seasons. You may pay someone's bill. Sometimes serving others is one of the greatest ways that you point them to Jesus. Acts of love and service are often the first step into getting an opportunity to share Jesus with people. D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists that America has ever seen, made these statements. He said, The world does not understand theology or dogma or doctrine, but it understands love and sympathy. The world understands when we love someone like we would love ourselves. Then finally, to serve your neighbors well, it should cost you something. Really, this is the question. This is a good gauge, Mark. Am I loving my neighbors well? It should cost you something. For the Samaritan man, it cost him his safety. You say, how did it cost him his safety? This was a dangerous road. One guy had already been attacked. He slowed down and stopped and helped somebody. It would have been a whole lot easier just to keep on moving by. It cost him his safety. It cost him his comfort. The Bible says he put him on his own beast. He went from riding to walking to help somebody else. Ultimately, it cost him his time. The Bible says that he was on a journey, but he stopped to help a man. He probably had some business. Can I say something to you here today? If you wait till you're not busy to love people, you'll never love people. If you wait till you're not, your schedule's not full to serve others, you'll never serve people. Again, what, what's going to matter a thousand years from now? What's going to matter in your life or in your schedule a thousand years from now? That you loved your neighbor well or that we checked another thing off our way too busy schedules that often we put on ourselves? And then finally... It cost the Samaritan some money. It cost him financially. Again, if it's baking some cookies, if it's making some time, if it's serving people around you, what is God calling you to do as far as serving the people around us? Church, if loving our neighbors as ourselves is a defining mark of true faith, how can we say that we truly love others if we've never risked our security, if we've never gotten uncomfortable, if we've never given regularly of our time and money to serve others? You know what the Bible would say to this? It would say it's a dead faith. James chapter 2, verse 14, verse through 17, James reminds us of this. 
He says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Church family, loving our neighbors well is a great moment to say, is my faith real? Or is my faith dead? Maybe some of you here today, you really know Jesus and your faith's not dead, but maybe it's on life support. Maybe it's been so long since you've served somebody and loved somebody well and engaged the people around you. Maybe it's time to go back afresh and anew to draw out your Oikos map. Or again, maybe be strategic and pray, say, God, show me a situation where I can engage in lost people. Start going to play pickleball. Whatever God lays on your heart to go do. I want to end this morning. I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to come. I want to end this morning with five words that can change your life and can change others' lives as well. I've had situations in my life where just a few words changed my life. When I got married, I said two words. I said, I do. And it changed my life. It's the best two words I ever said. Another four words that changed my life was the first time my kids were able to look at me and say, Daddy, I love you. You talk about messing up your world now. That's good. (laughs) Jesus ends this statement here. He's given this parable. And he looks at this man. And he asked him, he said, which one of these was a neighbor to him? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus ends with this. Go and do the same. Think about that. Go and do the same. I counsel with people all the time that are wanting to know God's will for their life. They got a job situation coming up, a relationship situation. And I, listen, I believe God speaks into the specific, and that's good. But can I tell you something? If I understand the broader context of God's will for my life, it's so much easier to find the specific. And can I say something to you here today? What is God's will for you this morning? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors as yourself. Go and do the same. What should that look like for you here today? Well, first, everybody leaves here today gets a t-shirt. And I would say everybody takes that t-shirt today and just piles it full of ornaments that you can take in just one practical step. Can I say something to you today? They may not even come to the carols by candlelight. Some will. I believe they will. But just you having an opportunity to be there on the front porch and just say, can I pray for you? To your coworker at lunch, give them that and say, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. We've never talked about this stuff before, but I'd love for you to come to this. But, you know, it's Christmas. Can I pray for you? Is there any way I can talk to you about my faith, what Jesus means to me? Church family, you will find more joy in serving others than you've ever found before. Why? It's because what's God, it's what God's designed you for. Life is not about you. It's about the glory of Jesus who created you. So I want to ask you to stand this morning. Brother Ken's going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. If you'd like to join this church family, you feel free to come. If you need one of our pastors or ministers to pray for you, you feel free to come. I'm going to ask you right here in this room, again, you can't share Jesus with someone that you don't know. If you don't know Jesus, it's hard for you to talk about him. And can I, can I say this to you? And I said this to you at the beginning of service. If you're here this morning and you're broken and you're hurting and you need Jesus here today, then right there where you are, you could call out to him. 
You can call out to Jesus right there where you are, and he can save you. He can enter into your life and change you. You can pray this with me just right there where you are. Just say, dear Jesus, I don't know you, but I want to know you. And I, I want you to save me, oh God. I, I give my life to you. Call out to him right there where you are. Say, Jesus, save me. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, this is what I want us to do. Would you just take your hands and put them out in front of you, palms up, just like this. This is a great posture of surrender. And just begin to pray, Oh Lord, use me. I'll go and do the same. Just begin to ask Him. Say, God, show me the people around me. I surrender my life to you. Use me. Give me burden and passion for those around me. Take some time to go before the Lord there this morning as we sing. If you need to come, again, our ministers will be up front. You feel free to come as we sing. Brother Ken, can you lead us?